0: Welcome to another inspirational message from the Chapel. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information, check out our website, thechapelcollective.com.au. Hi there, my name is Bronnie Bennell. I'm part of the preaching and teaching team here at the Chapel Collective, and it's my pleasure and privilege to bring you the word today. Uh, I'm starting a three-week series today called The Afterlife. Now, you might be familiar with the Ricky Gervais Netflix series. Uh, It's not that. That's the series where um, a man called Tony loses his wife to breast cancer and actually suffers from depression and decides that he'll keep living long enough just to do and say whatever he wants in order to punish the world. I can't vouch for it. I actually haven't seen it. But that's not what this series is based on. This series is called Afterlife. What if... What now and what then? And uh, I hope that today you will really get a lot out of it. You know, um in the last three weeks, Pastor Daz, I don't call him Pastor Daz, I call him Husband Daz, mainly just as uh, he's been preaching a series in the last three weeks on how to live an elevated life in times like these. And it's been a cracker and it's been um, something that's really ministered to my life. And I, I believe it would have yours as well. If you haven't watched it, go back and uh, and go on the YouTube channel and have a look or listen to the podcast. It really is so helpful. And uh, the premise is, is that we're living in uncertain times. And I would wholeheartedly agree with that. I believe that if you were to characterize these times, you would call them uncertain. And so, in light of these uncertain times, in light of what's going on in Afghanistan, in light of the earthquake uh, in Haiti, in light of the you know, continued lockdowns, in light of the vaccination debate, in light of all this, well, then what kind of hope are we supposed to hold on to? And as we ask the big questions of, well, what's my life meant to look like? What am I supposed to be doing? Uh, the inevitable big questions start to rise of where's my strong foundation And, and what do I put my hope in for next? Even is there a next? Today, you might be someone who is just curious. Well, I hope that today you'll get informed. Today, you might be someone who has hope, but you're not quite sure what that hope is based in. Well, I hope today that you'll be able to shore that up a little. And if you're someone who has hope, I pray that today you will leave with a confident and hope-filled expectation about what's coming up. You know, in the year 2000, if you're old enough, if you were 20 like me, or maybe you were five, or maybe you weren't born, or maybe you were 60. Uh, You would have seen the Sydney Harbour Bridge lit up on New Year's Eve with the word Eternity. And that was tribute to a man called Arthur Malcolm Stace who'd been born in 1885. This man, um, Arthur, was born to alcoholic parents and he grew up in poverty. He survived by stealing people's milk and bread deliveries so that he would eat them and he'd also pick rubbish scraps out of the bin. By the time he was 12, he was a ward of the state. He'd had no formal schooling and he was working in a coal mine. Uh, Not too many years later, before the age of 15, he himself was an alcoholic and at 15, he ended up in prison. His life continued on a certain trajectory until at 45 years old, he heard the message of the good news of Jesus Christ and decided to put his faith in him. It wasn't too long after that that he heard the preacher preach a message where he yelled out, Eternity, eternity! Would that I could sound it and shout it throughout the streets of Sydney. You will all meet it, and do you know where you will go? And something struck Arthur Stace's heart. And if you know the Stace's, you're like, yeah, yeah, of course he was a Stace. But uh, something struck Arthur Stace's heart. And he said that he felt like this God-given mission to him to proclaim the word eternity through the streets of Sydney. Now, this was a man who was completely illiterate and barely able to write his own name, but he got a piece of chalk and he wrote the word eternity on the Sydney pavement in perfect copperplate script. Uh, there's going to be a, a picture of it come up right now. And this beautiful word eternity, he felt to write it and for the next 45 years, he wrote it across the streets of Sydney. Uh, he'd get up at four o'clock in the morning and just write this word. He said that a new number of years later, he wanted to write obey God, but he just couldn't find himself. He couldn't bring himself to do it. Uh, a couple of years after that, he wanted to write God or sin. Couldn't bring himself to do it. Felt this um, gift to write the word eternity, to get people thinking about their eternity. But that was all he could do. He, uh, this man, Arthur Stace, he, he wrote it everywhere, millions of times across his lifetime, and he felt the weight of eternity. He felt the weight of his eternity shift. He'd gone from having an unknown eternity to having a secure eternity, and he wanted everyone to feel the same. I wonder if that is your story this morning. I wonder if you have an assurance about your eternity He was an incredible man, but I want to ask the question this morning, where is your hope? I want to ask you the question, when it comes to your eternity, what do you believe and who told you that? Where did that come from? There's a thing that, there's an ideology around uh, nowadays in religious individualism, where it's kind of like choose your own adventure for your eternity, where, oh, uh, well, I like this bit of this belief and I like this bit of this belief, so I'm kind of going to combine them and that's the picture of my eternity that I'm going with. We know that that, that lacks intellectual integrity if someone believes in reincarnation and that we're all going to die and be reborn, uh, but another person has holds the ancient Viking belief that we're all going to um, die and uh, go to Valhalla if we've got a weapon in our hand when we die and we'll feast and fight and kill each other and then wake up and do it all over again, then of course those two ideologies can't coexist. That, that, that just doesn't work. Where is your faith? Where is your hope? Where is your hope? You see, Jesus asked a question of his disciples. He told them that they were going to go to the other side of the lake. And on this particular lake, it, was, um, it, was, it had unusual weather systems where they'd spring up at the drop of a hat. And so they find themselves in this crazy, crazy storm. And the disciples are freaking out for their lives. And Jesus is asleep in the bow of the boat. They go and wake him up. And he, he actually commands the storm to be still. And it is. He takes authority over the weather system. And he turns to his disciples and he says, where is your faith? Now, we could take this as a kind of rhetorical chastisement, and, and it no doubt probably was. But I want us to ask the question for a moment as a literal question, like where, as in where location-wise is your faith? What are you putting your faith in? Where is your faith? And then if we switch that question, because when the storms of life come, as it relates to the next, the afterlife, we have to answer the question, where is our hope? Where is our hope? Where is it located? What's the basis for it? What's it been informed by? And like I said, I hope that if you don't know Jesus today, if you're just curious, that you'll at least get some information. I pray that if you are someone who knows that you have a hope, that you would be able to work out, is it actually based in anything solid? That if you're grieving today, that you would be comforted. And that if you have a hope grounded in truth, that your faith would rise, that your confidence would go up and your expectation would be strong and wonderful this morning. I hope that you walk away with confidence. The word of God will do his work and there'll be a witness in your heart and spirit about what's next, because here is not all there is. Let's pray this morning. I pray like we're going to pray and wherever you are, Um, Unless you're driving a car, why don't you close your eyes and pray with me this morning? Keep your eyes open if you're driving right now. Dear Lord, I pray for hope to spring up this morning or today whenever someone's watching this. I pray for a peace that passes all understanding. I pray for a confidence, Lord, that goes far beyond, Lord, what we can hope or understand in Jesus name. Amen. Um, As I said just before, here is not all there is. There are those that would disagree. In 1990, Kerry Packer famously said that when he died, he went to the other side and there's nothing there. He was dead for six minutes, brought back and uh, told that uh, he told everyone that there's nothing out there. I wonder like how you know that there's nothing there unless there's some kind of consciousness to recognize that there's nothing there that you've been to the other side. I'm not sure. Well, in 2008, there was a study done by the University of Southampton, um, 2060 patients from 15 different hospitals across the UK, the US and Australia. And they wanted to check if um, a claim of awareness was compatible with out of body experiences or just hallucination. And what they found was that 40% of the people that they surveyed, 40% of 2060 survivors of cardiac arrest, They said that they were aware during the time that they were dead, that their heart had stopped, that they were clinically dead before their hearts were restarted. They drew from this, this University of Southampton drew from this, that your consciousness is not annihilated at least in the first few minutes after death. People have taken this idea quite seriously for a long time, obviously, right across culture and history. Uh, that death is not all there is. Of course, there are those like Kerry Packer who fully believe that you're dead and that's it, like um, that's where the rise of nihilism has come in, where there's no meaning to life and there's no meaning to death. Uh, It's just is what it is, And, and that ranges all the way into fatalism and all sorts of things. But there's been a thought that this life is not all there is, that the end is not the end for a very long time. In 2009, an Australian study of social attitudes showed that 46% of the population believed in life after death. But if you shrunk that to people between the age of 13 and 24, that percentage increased to 56%. In 2020, a study of Americans said that they believed that 72, 72% of people believed in a literal heaven. The belief in the afterlife is nothing new. We only need to look at the... Um, Pyramids where, you know, people were embalmed, mummified, put into a sarcophagus, put into a pyramid, and hopefully go to the Valley of Yaku, where they would accompany the sun on its daily ride. I don't know why that's something to aspire to, but that's what they wanted to do. Unless of course they ran into Brendan Fraser who tears all mummies limb from limb. Um, I'm pretty sure that movie was based on a true story. Brilliant actor, Brendan Fraser only beaten that performance by George of the Jungle. Don't know why I didn't get an Oscar. Um, But before, I'm just going to give you a brief rundown of belief systems in history. Uh, For Jews, for example, um, for the longest time, they did not believe, what they believed was that there was a place called Sheol, And it was kind of this netherworld, this shadowy underworld where spirits went, where spirits stayed, and they weren't supposed to be brought back. That was against the law against Torah, um, but sometimes did happen. uh, For example, in the case of Samuel, where they wanted some prophetic advice and brought Samuel back from the dead. This was, you know, if you think Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, when Aragon goes and gets the um, army, the dead army back. That's kind of what I think about when I think about uh, Sheol, this sleeping kind of group of people. But when they went into exile, uh, the Israelites, that's when they began to read and write um, before it was mainly just oral tradition. And during that time, they began to examine their beliefs and say, well, really, do we think that scripture says that now is all there is? Now, there's a bunch of people that said yes. And they would read scriptures like water spilled on the ground, which cannot be recovered, so we must die. And then others were like, well, I mean, what about scriptures like this? The Lord brings death and the Lord makes alive. What about... The, the um, passage of Ezekiel and the dry bones, the song that was sung just before is based off that vision, that the Lord would bring an army back to life, that would bring our people back to life. What about that? Now, the cynical and at best skeptical people would say, well, they needed that. They're, they're people who are oppressed. They're people who are downtrodden. They needed to believe that what is now is not all there is because that would be too hard to live with. They also needed martyrs for their cause as they began to rise up in the time of the Maccabees. Maybe they they invented this belief so that people would, um, you know, do better in the cause. They would martyr themselves. By the time we got to um, modern Judaism, there's nothing kind of canonical. There's nothing said that this is 100% what we believe. There's different ranges of beliefs, but effectively believing in two places, Gehenom which is based on the word Gehenna, which was the garbage dump outside Jerusalem where you would bury your dead if you couldn't afford to bury them elsewhere, where um, used to be the place where they would sacrifice children into the fire, uh, where they would burn the bodies, um, where there'd be much weeping because it was a place where you would uh, bury your dead and, and also where the dogs would come and there'd be gnashing of teeth as well. They said, well, that place also exists in the afterlife. And not only that, that that's for those who are wicked, but then there's also those who are um, righteous and they get to go to a restored Garden of Eden. Um, Another ancient religion born around the same time was uh, that of Islam. And they believe that Jannah was a place um, that there were eight gates, um, eight levels that you climb, paradise, uh, or there is Jahannam with seven deep temple layers and you'll wait the day of judgment in your grave with a taste of what's to come. Uh, We also know um, the Islamic kind of extremist view of the jihadists that suggests that if you martyr yourself for the cause, that you get 70 virgins. Psych! It's a 70-year-old virgin. Uh, That's Joseph Prince's joke, not mine. So if you feel upset about that, write to Joseph Prince. Um, Ancient Greeks believed that the Hermes, that creator of great handbags, that uh, they would take you, she would, he would take you to the underworld, that that Charon the fairy um, person would take you there if you put a gold under your tongue, if your family put gold under your tongue and you would go to Elysium. You might remember Maximus Decimus Meridius who said about, if you find yourself alone riding in green fields, you're already dead. That one, uh, there was Tartarus, there was Ashdevelt, there's all these different kinds of places that you go. And then there's Hinduism and Buddhism where there's this rebirth and karma. Um, Hinduism has it that you have an eternal soul. Buddhism is that you cease and then you're reborn as someone else completely. Uh, and that you actually can escape this cycle through nirvana. That's um, Hinduism. There's the Baha'i, which believe that the afterlife's impossible to understand for us because it's like a baby in the womb. All they know is the womb. They don't understand what's outside the womb. So, how can we possibly understand the afterlife? Uh, there's Zoroastrianism, which believes that when you die, you get attended to by personification of your thoughts when you were living. So for example, if you have beautiful thoughts about things and you're a lovely person, then you get attended to by a beautiful maiden. Uh, If you have ugly thoughts and you're a really bad person, then you get attended to by a naked, ugly old hag. Um, I do not want to be attended to by either of those. So it doesn't really work for me. Um, Also, let's look at some iterations uh, after Jesus. For example, the Mormons believe that they go on a missionary um, venture into hell, plunder hell, bring out the souls. Um, Jehovah's Witness, obviously, they believe that after Armageddon that the chosen will uh, come and reestablish paradise on earth. Um, There's also the concept of limbo, where babies go, uh, that this is not in Jehovah's Witness anymore. This is a a more Christian belief. um, in Catholicism and then it's extended into the idea of purgatory where you're not wicked enough for hell, but you're not purified enough for heaven. So there's a refining fire that takes place that sends you to, uh, that you can go to heaven after it. Um, And then in Orthodoxy, there's this concept that you, the destination is not really what matters uh, because it depends on who you are, how you are. So, for example, for the Christian, you go to heaven and God's there and you're like, yes, God's here. Jesus, yes. Thank you so much for everything. And love is there. And you're like, oh, this is the best. This is the best. But if you're a wicked, unrepentant sinner, you go to the same place. But that's hell for you because God's there and His holiness is there. And you're like, oh, I hate this. And love's there. And you're like, "Ugh, I feel like I'm dying here. And and so that's uh, another belief that's there as well. Um, So lots of beliefs. Why am I telling you all that? Just to show you that across history, across culture, there's been the belief that here is not all there is, that this is not the end. All that to show that... (laughs) The end is not the end. It's not a smorgasbord We you go, oh, I like that whole uh, naked, ugly hag attending to you thing. I I might, well, can I take that and fuse that with um, whatever? No, we need to know where our hope is. What is our hope based on? Who told us that? Where did we get that idea from? The end is not the end. Here's what Jesus said. And if you know one verse in the Bible, you probably know this one. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. John three sixteen. So here comes Jesus and he says, if you believe in me, you won't perish. The end is not the end. If you believe in me, you will have everlasting life. And we know about Jesus when he said, I came to give life and to give it to its fullest, to give it in abundance. So Jesus is talking about this abundant life that doesn't even end when we die. I, I remember talking to my mum and uh, my mum is so beautiful and she was just so um, allowing of all my questions. And I used to ask her about, you know, my dad dying because I wanted to know how it worked and what had happened. And the other thing that my mom and my stepdad had taught me was that to believe what the word of God says. So when it says the same spirit that rose Jesus Christ from the dead now lives in you and that we can pray for things like Jesus did and like the um, early church did, and we can see miracles happen, even that of raising the dead. I believed them when they told me that. And so when mom told me about the farming accident that killed my, my father, and when she went and she actually found him, I, I remember asking the question, mom, did you ever think to pray for him to be raised back to life? And Mum said, oh, Bron, and she's so gracious to me. She didn't take it as any kind of indictment. It was not intended as that. She just took it as a kid asking a question. And she said, oh, Bron, he wasn't there anymore. I looked at him and I saw his body and he was not there anymore. His spirit had gone. And so Jesus is saying, get everlasting life. Your body, it will die, sure. But you, you continue to live. Mary and Martha, friends of Jesus, uh, had lost their brother called Lazarus. And when Jesus gets there, Mary says to him, Martha rather, says to him, Jesus, if you had been here, this would not have happened. But even so, you can ask God for whatever you want and he will give it to you. Now, what's Martha inferring here? She's not saying, so can you please, Jesus, ask God for some money for the funeral because that would be really appreciated, even now. You you missed the big thing, but if you could just help us out with this little thing. This is what Jesus says back to her. He says, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? So that brings us to a question for us today. I want you to imagine Jesus standing in front of you today saying, I'm the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Mikey? Do you believe this, Julie? Do you believe this, George? Do you believe this, Sam? Do you believe this, Josiah? Insert your name, if Jesus were looking at you right now and said, do you believe this? I wonder what your answer would be, How what assurance you have, what confidence you have. If you feel confident in that fact this morning, go ahead and write it in the chat. I believe this. That's John chapter 11, 25 to 27. When when Jesus gets challenged about the big claims he's making about being God, this is what he replies. I tell you the truth. Those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins, but they have already passed from death to life. (laughs) Have you considered that? The fact is that if you believe in Jesus and have put your trust in him, you have already passed from death to life. And this life is the life that is everlasting. It doesn't matter what's going on in Afghanistan. It doesn't matter how Boris Johnson is coping with the COVID crisis. It doesn't matter what state premier you are under right now, because you have already, if you have put your trust in Jesus, passed from death to life. And that is the eternal life has already started. Sure, your body might be going to die. Sure, your body might be decaying. Can I get an amen? Does anyone else find it hard to get up off the floor? Amen. Your body might be breaking down, but you have already, if you've put your trust in Jesus, passed from death to life, you are in the already not yet of eternal life. So I'm going to just read some verses. I'm just going to read some passages from the Bible for us this morning to say, what if What if the end is not the end? What if here is not all there is? What if we were to put our hope in this sure and solid foundation? And I believe as we read these passages that the Holy Spirit will do his work and he will make them alive in your heart. And you will know that this is a sure foundation for your hope. So let's go for it. Let's read 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, and let's face it, some of us have three bedroom tents, some of us have one man tents, it doesn't matter, they're all just tents, they're all getting taken down, that is when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. I would encourage you, don't spend too much on your body right now. I know that so many of you, like you're getting lip fillers and you're getting wrinkles erased and you're You're getting your hair colored and that's just the men. (laughs) I encourage you. It's an earthly tent that's going to get taken down. Um, We grow weary in our present bodies. Amen. And we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. For we will put on heavenly bodies. We will not be spirits without bodies. Okay, so that's the first myth that we can just eradicate right now. It's like this, ooh, that you're a ghost and you kind of like just like float everywhere and you're just this, we're not in Sheol, we're not in this spiritual underworld. This is a a, a place of existence and habitation where we receive a new body. Let's keep reading. While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan, amen, especially when we're tying our shoelaces and sigh, amen. But it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us, rather we want to put in our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. And this is what my prayer is for you today. So we are always confident, even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we're not at home with the Lord. For we live by believing and not by seeing. Yes, we are fully confident and we would rather be away from these earthly bodies for then we will be home with the Lord. I need a new body. I got to tell you right now, I am 41 years old in a 65 year old person's body. That's not a good declaration of faith. Okay. Sorry. (laughs) But seriously, every time I get up off the floor, Um, but but these bodies are not so that we can sit on a cloud and a nappy and play a harp. God's got something for us to do with these new bodies. We're going to be looking at in the next couple, couple of weeks. Verse 20 of Philippians chapter three, but we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies. I know some of you gym junkies are like, call me weak mortal bodies. Yes, weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own using the same power with which he'll bring everything under his control. Church, there's a new body coming and it is for reals. We can have confidence. Uh, Philippians chapter one, verse 25 fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die. For to me, living means living for Christ and dying even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I don't really know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be better for me. But for your sakes, it's better that I continue to live. What kind of hope and expectation for the future is that that Paul has? He's like, take me now. Just take me now. Now, that tent passage, just let me give you some context. This is Paul speaking again in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, we are pressed on every side by troubles not crushed. We are perplexed. Do you feel perplexed by these times? Do you feel like you're pressed in on every side? I, I would put to you that here in Australia we're probably not, but but we might feel it. We're perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we get up again. There ain't nothing gonna No, no, but we get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus might also be seen in our bodies. Yes, we live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus so that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. So we live in the face of death, but this has resulted in eternal life for you. But we continue to preach because we have the same kind of faith the psalmist said when he said, I believed in God, so I spoke. We know that God who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present Himself, present us to Himself together with you. All of this is for your benefit. And as God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be great thanksgiving and God will receive more and more glory. That is why we never give up, though our bodies are dying. Our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now, rather we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. You, your body, pinch yourself, it's all going. Pat the chair that you're on. Feel the hum of the car that you're driving right now. It's all going, it's all decaying. You know this, when you paint a wall in your house, you're like, man, now we need to do the floors. They look terrible. Everything is getting old, but there's something that is coming that doesn't end and doesn't get old. I would encourage you to begin to rev up that expectation and that hope now so that when we get to experience it, we are fully ready to go for it. In closing, c.s lewis said if i find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy the only logical explanation is that i was made for another world i wonder if you feel that niggle of like nothing here seems to satisfy me it's because this flesh is dying it's because you're made for something else you're made for something bigger you're made for something better and it's not Tony Robbins running down an aisle saying, yes, you can do it. It's the Lord of all creation saying, I'm going to renew all things and you are part of that renewal and that restoration. He's bringing it all together. Nihilism would tell you it's meaningless. There's nothing, forget about it. <laughs> I hope that some of my enthusiasm today has helped. You're either going to think I'm nuts or that maybe, maybe she's got something there. Existentialism would tell you to construct meaning, just make it up. Absurdism would tell you, well, know that there is no meaning, but live like there is one, so that you can deal with the crushing reality of meaninglessness. The, The very definition of that suggests that we are made for meaning, that we would find it a crushing reality. We're made for meaning, we're made for a purpose, and we're made for eternity. This end. The end is not the end. Here is not all there is, it's actually way better. You're made with a promise. Now I invite you today to be sure of your eternity. Maybe you've never really had that sense of, I'm really sure that eternity is safe and secure. Maybe you've never even considered it. Maybe it's only waking up in you right now. I'm gonna pray a prayer And I would ask you to pray this prayer with me. Maybe you'd even like to put in the chat, I prayed that prayer. But I'm gonna pray for people who don't know Jesus. I'm gonna pray for people who do know Jesus, but just didn't have that sense of security about their eternity, that that's what we would find this morning by the power of the Holy Spirit and His Word in Jesus' Name. So let's pray. Lord, for every single person who's watching today, who's joining us online today, who's been part of the church today, Lord, I pray, firstly, Lord, for those who don't know you, that they would put their trust in you in this moment. And if that's you, just say, Dear Jesus, please forgive me of my sin and make me right with you. And Lord, I pray that they would be filled with the joy and expectation of eternity. I pray, Lord, for those who know you, who've walked with you, who know about you. Holy Spirit, would you come and fill them again and give them a sense of joy and expectation about eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. The end is not the end, it's way better. Just let me finish with one story. Uh, Mum and Jill and I had just gone to see Titanic, Jack dies if you haven't seen it. And we were um, driving home and you know, it's a really devastating movie. Uh, It's typical of me to cry even after movies because I'm emotional like that. Um, but we were in the car and Jillie said to Mum, Mum, what about those people like who are down the bottom and they just had no idea that the ship was gonna sink and then they just, you know, it just came upon them like that. She said, so it's just gonna be like with eternity, it'll just come upon us like that. And I remember crying in the car and Mum and Jill just put it down to a sad movie, Brons crying again. It was because I had no confidence in my eternity. So I prayed that prayer and I can tell you that I've been sure of my eternity ever since I've gotten it wrong, but I've known that I could always come back and find a place of confidence in Jesus Christ. And I pray that that would be your story today as well. Amen. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring your faith or a follower of Jesus, there's a next step for you.